Morning, guys. I think I know most everybody, but I'm Jim for the day. <laughs> yeah, I just got a little got a little tan this week. Got a little haircut. Looking those, good, those, Jim. Those, Looking t- good. those tanning beds, they can really do some wonders. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I've. I wasn't going to talk about this, but I've actually, I went to a tanning bed once in college. No, you didn't. I did. I did. It was so bad. I think we're done here. (laughs) Don't kick uh, me out. Let's go ahead and pray and uh, we'll wrap it up. I don't think we have much to learn from this guy. (laughs) So I had this, I had this, this uh, friend who was, he was, he was the punter on our team. And we, we were, you know, when we go on trips, we were seat buddies and sit next to each other on the bus and share pizza and all that good stuff. But he's like, dude, you need to go to a tanning bed. I wonder what that would look like. I said, I really don't think it's going to do anything. <laughs> I mean, might be warm for a little bit, but that's it. So, so how was it? Anyway, we went. And so I know some of you guys have been to a tanning bed before. Even if you don't want to admit it, you've been there. So if you didn't know... They have stickers when you go into the tanning bed. They have like palm trees and little bears and butterfly, all kinds stars, all kinds of stuff. What are they for? Well, here's what they're here's what I used it for. So I put one on my arm because I was like, we're gonna see if this thing actually works. See if I got a tan line around the sticker when it's done. And there was. Huh. It worked. So. Anybody else done the t- sticker <laughs> trick? Nobody's raising their hand. Nobody, man. <laughs> okay, all right. You gotta, we got, we gotta work on the on the guts thing. We gotta work on the boldness, but we Courage. can do it. All right. Anyway, that had nothing to do with anything, but this has been a success, <laughs> mostly with Rodney. <laughs> I'm just the color commentator for the morning. <laughs> Tony Romo. Oh. So we got the Chiefs knocking out the Ravens. Does whoa weird. We're, we're doing something. I don't know what we're doing. Anyway, we'll work on it. I don't know. It's just, it's just happening. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Chiefs knocked out the Ravens. Anything yeah. notable? I didn't get to watch the game, so, um, but... I'm happy. I'm happy that they won. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson. I thought he was going to be the X factor in that game. And you just look at all the times they went for it on fourth and one, fourth and two. You know, when they when they took that first drive down, I was like, this is going to be a long game. And then our defense stepped up. Uh, I think it was our first real test. So I did well. Good deal. Still trucking along. And then uh, this week, K State, Oklahoma State. Should be a good game. Yes. Got <laughs> donated the Bill Snyder Cup in 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 memorial. Yeah. So who do you think is going to win this game? Um, I think it'll be a fourth quarter game. Uh, I think this is our first real test for our defense, as far as a passing team, Big Twelve offenses, um, and I don't know if we're proven yet. So uh, Oklahoma State will push us. They'll test us in ways that we haven't been tested yet. So yeah. It'll be a good ball game. And then this last week, KU came out with a loss. But, I mean, 29-24 to West Virginia? They, they put points on the board. Maybe should have won the game. What happened in the game? 
I no, I didn't watch it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody could tell us what happened in the game, Dennis? The Did they? What? They, they they had the ball where they could have gone to to win the game because they were three points behind, I think, and they fumbled it like on their side of the field. So they were close. They they were in there. So look out. Maybe not this year, but next year. Watch out, Big Twelve. Jayhawks are coming. Hey, you didn't put a you didn't put a slide on there about Bill Self. Oh, oh yeah. I guess he's been he's been in the news a little bit. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, we can talk about him later. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, with prayer, we'll pray for him. No, but seriously, we should probably pray for him. <laughs> Just because you don't know what's. I mean, we only know what the media puts out, and we don't know. The truth, we don't, we don't know how everything's played out. Um, so we'll just we'll we see, for the see what happens. Yeah. It would, it would hope for be, the best in there. It would be bad if, if the things that have happened are true. Right, right, right. So we're going through this, the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. Uh, just a quick review. Number one, the law of the lid. So your leadership is only going to grow as much as basically you, you let it. Your influence is going to be capped by your level of leadership. Uh, number two, the law of influence. So know that leadership is primarily influence. If you're not influencing anyone, you're not really leading anybody. Uh, the law of process. So where, where is this trajectory going? How do we have you know, a stable, stable, steady process? Law number four is the law of navigation. So leaders can see further than others see. They see before others see. And they're able to chart that course Rather than just kind of being in line and, and hoping for the best, they know what the long-term result needs to be and then making those steps to get there. And then Rodney's going to kick us off with law number five, the law of addition. Yeah, so the law of addition, um, he, he starts off this chapter by telling a story about a guy named Jim. It's either Senegal or Senegal. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm going to call him Senegal. Uh, <clears throat> he is the CEO uh, and co-founder of Costco. If you were to look kind of at... Uh, the way that he runs his organization, the way that uh, he he set it up, uh, if you were to look at his his salary, his salary is uh, three hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. To probably most of us, that's a lot of money uh, to make in one year. I would love to make three hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. But if you were to analyze that against other large corporations like like a Costco, uh, for example, I was in Houston last couple of days at a McDonald's conference. Uh, the CEO and president was there and the president of USA uh, was there as well. My boss, when the guy was up on stage, he was like, I want to see how much this guy makes. $22.4 million a year. So you look at a guy who's running McDonald's versus a guy who's running Costco and the vast difference between the two pay, uh, pay ranges. Um, the other thing that he does uh, is that he pays employees at Costco 40 42% more than the competitor pays people in the same position. He believes if you pay people well, uh, you have a good um, culture, a good atmosphere. Uh, he, he also thinks I'm not going to pay myself 100, 200, 300% more than the people who are working on the floor. 
Uh, and he, and he, in response to some Wall Street Journal critics, uh, he says, you know, Wall Street's trying to make their money from today to next Thursday. He says, if I want to build a great company, I got to think 50, 60 years from now that our company is still going to be around there. And I got to do things today, tomorrow, in a couple years that's going to make sure that that is true. Um, And he is more focused on adding value to the people in his organization rather than just keeping it all for himself uh, or being about himself. And so it begs the question... For us as leaders, and we're, when we're thinking about other people as leaders that are around us, does a leader's motivation matter? Um, you know, why should leaders lead? And when they do, when, what's their first responsibility? You know, I think if we were to ask people, what, what's your motivation for being in leadership? If I were to go to work today and I were to ask one of the managers that I lead, what's your motivation for leadership? What do you, you know, what kind of question, what kind of responses would we get back? I think you would get back, uh, <clears throat> hey, I, I'm, I'm going to be a leader because I like to be in charge. Uh, I want to help make the organization run smoothly. I want to make money for the shareholders. I want to build a great company. I want to I want to make us better than all of our competitors. I want to win. I you know all these things that people step into leadership to do. Um, and, and John Maxwell makes a good point. He says, you know, about ten years ago, I probably wouldn't have said anything about those those motives. Those are good things in order for you to step into leadership. He says, but I was at conference in a in a developing world and he started teaching this law of addition that you 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 as a leader add value to people's lives and he got he looked across the room and just kind of people were uncomfortable and he said he he couldn't understand why and then he after the conference he he somebody came up to him and says you know this 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 law of adding value to people's lives is really hard for these guys because most of the people in this room have killed someone to be in the position that they're in. And I, I, I want to make a correlation. Uh, sometimes we think leadership is about success. It, it's like a ladder for us that we're climbing. We want to climb. And the more leadership ability that we have, the, more, uh, the higher our position, the more successful that we are. What we actually end up doing is we don't kill people physically, but we kill people emotionally, psychologically, by the way that we lead. We step on other people. We put other people down for us to have more leadership. In a sense, we're not adding any sort of value. So if you were to look at you as a leader, any interaction that you have with your followers is either uh, a plus or a minus. Um, uh, if you are a leader, uh, when you, when, let's say at work, <clears throat> when, you're fa- when you're leading someone, every interaction is, is either adding value or subtracting value. And you might be wondering, how can I tell? The way that you can tell is you ask yourself this question is, uh, are you making things better for the people who follow you? If I were to ask people on your team, if I were to ask your your children, if I were to ask your wife, do you make things better for the people who are following you? If you can't answer that question with a uh, with an unhesitant yes, then more than likely you're you're a subtractor. 
that you actually take from people's lives more than you add to people's lives. And most of the time, uh, you do that unintentionally. He says 90% of people are subtractors in relationships and they don't even realize, like they're, they're just doing it unintentionally. They don't realize that, hey, in my relationships with people, I'm not adding value. I'm, I'm actually taking away value. Um, and he says it's only a matter of time where <clears throat> the subtraction that you're taking in, in your organization and the people that you follow, you actually start to become a dividing line. So think of it as you become a subtractor, uh, but then long enough, you start to divide people. You're, now it's division. You got, one, you got people on one side and people on the other side. And if you do that long enough, you make, you make, life, make life hell for the people that are following you. He says on the flip side, uh, 90% of people who add value, they do so intentionally. Uh, most, as we all know, we're all selfish individuals. It's hard for us to consider other people to put people uh, above us. Um, and I, I do love this. He says, true leadership must be the benefit of the people, of, of the followers, not to enrich the leader. And I love this next, um, <clears throat> it's the Matthew twenty twenty eight that just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In some ways, that that should model our leadership. That um, that we should be more interested uh, in the positive impact that we have on people, that we're there to serve them rather than our own position. That great leaders, uh, if you want to be a great leader, it means great service to the people who are following you. Um, you know, it it won't look it won't look the same for you as it looks for me. But that doesn't mean that we all can't serve people in some sort of way. You look at great leaders, Martin Luther King, uh, Mother Teresa, uh, Albert Einstein, guys who people who have won Nobel Peace Prizes, they never set out to be a great leader. They set out to make an impact on the people in their communities in the world, and they became great leaders. So how do you know? I'm going to wrap it up. The four things. How do you know... Um, uh, th- you know, here's how you add value to other people's. Number one is that you truly value others. Um, this is not just saying it, but it's demonstrating it over and over and over again that you truly value others. Um, leadership is not about processes. It's not about projects. It's about people. So if you walk into your office and you walk right past people go straight to your office to get work done, you've just walked past your work. People are what you're, you're to lead. Um, do you need to believe in people? Uh, you believe in them, you serve them, you add value. Um, number two, you make yourself valuable to others. You know, as a country, we can't export what we don't first possess in our country. Same thing for us as leaders. We can't export, give out to people those things that we don't first possess uh, as leaders. So we need to be focused on, you know, the, the experiences that we have, we've had, the opportunities that God has given us. Uh, can we use those as a benefit, as a positive impact to other people? Um, so I'll ask a few questions. You know, what are you doing to make yourself valuable to other people? You're taking time to develop your leadership. You're taking time to sit and reflect about your life, the things that you've been through, the things that you've learned. 
Do you have wisdom from your years of working, living, interacting with people that you can give to others? Um, and <clears throat> what do you have to give to others? What do people gain from being in your presence? We all have people that we, we like to be around because you can just sit and absorb them and they're fun to be around and you leave a better person. What would people say about you when they leave your presence? You add value to them. Um, number three, that we know and relate to what others value. In order for us to add value, you must first know and relate to what they value. Um, the way we do that is we listen, we learn, and then we lead. And this takes time. First, you listen. You listen to their hopes. You listen to their dreams. You listen to their aspirations. You learn what they value. You learn where they want to go. You learn their emotional state. You, you learn everything about them in order so that you can lead them. Um, you know, something uh, that I've heard that I've recommend is if you, if you have an employee, you sit and listen to them. You ask them questions about, hey, what are your hopes? What are your dreams? What do you want to do? What do you want to be known for? And then you write that down. You know it. You memorize it. And then in six months, nine months, a year, when you're giving them an employee review, you use their same words back to them. If they've done a good job and you want to praise them the way that they need to be praised, uh, you've listened and you've learned you, and you praise them. The, you're adding value to them because you've listened to them and you've affirmed them the way that they need to be affirmed. Um, you know, when you, you do this, everybody in the organization wins. The organization wins, the leader wins, and the follow-up, follower wins. Uh, you add value by knowing and valuing the things that they value. It's kind of like um, in your marriage. If you're married, uh, you wouldn't add much value if, if you didn't know what your wife loved to do and went and did those things with her. You did that over a course of five, 10 years, you'd probably be divorced. Same, uh, I think the same can be said about leadership that you know, most people don't leave companies, they leave bosses. Bosses who don't add value. Bosses who are all about themselves. Um, so everybody wins. And then, the, and then the fourth thing is we, you, you just do things that God values. Um, you, you stand up for the things that God values. Um, you're unashamed in them. Um, you know, it's, it's such a comfort. You read Proverbs. It's such a comfort for those, for those people who are in, uh, for a country, for a, a nation, who, whose leader fears the Lord, follows the Lord. Um, and so you add value by doing the thing that God values. That's good. And then <clears throat> and our, as we're closing up, so law number six is the law of solid ground. And, we, you know, we've heard, heard this. Are you going to be on... Are you going to be on rocky ground, a solid ground, a ground that's firm, or are you going to be on that sandy ground, that, sand, that ground that is shiftable, that, that's movable, where you know, if, if there's a huge wind, your house is going down if it's not built on a, on a solid foundation. And so in this chapter, he says that trust is the foundation of leadership. And I think we all know this. Uh, and so what I really want to do is want to give you a couple of quotes and then a couple of examples from the book. So one of the quotes is, uh, is from General Schwarzkopf, who points to the significance of character. And he says, leadership is a potent combination of strategy and character. 
But if you must be without one, be without strategy. And so what he's saying here is character is number one. You can have all the strategy in the world. You can be the greatest at X's and O's. But if you don't have the character, nobody's following you. They're, they're just not. They might for a little bit, but eventually they're, they're going to fall off and see through that. Another quote in here is that character makes trust possible. And trust makes leadership possible. And so there's two people. One, one person he mentions in the book is the late Billy Graham, who, you know, he had... 50-plus years of, of terrific ministry, of, of great leadership. People followed him. Even if they thought different theologically than he did, people still respected the man and still were, would, would line up and do something, you know, whatever he had to say or, or follow his leadership. That's all. We can't say that about a lot of people for that long of a period of time. And then we've got somebody who's a little bit more recent, uh, named Antonio Brown, who there's not a soul in the world who's going to follow his leadership. And, and if you don't know Antonio Brown, his receiver, uh, came over from the Steelers, went to the Raiders, threw a big cry, cry baby fit, and he, he wanted to wear a certain helmet. They wouldn't let him wear the helmet, so he wasn't going to play. And it's like, dude, you're going to be making like $25 million a year. You can wear their helmet. It's fine. So anyway, he goes to the Patriots, and everyone's like, oh, sure. He goes to the Patriots, right? Where's Don at? <laughs> yep. Goes to the Patriots, and he plays one game, and they release him. Why? Because he's a terror to the locker room. He's terrible for the culture. Nobody's going to follow this guy because he's all about himself. And so he has no trust with anybody. And that's, that's a challenging place to be in. And so as we think about this, let's go ahead and look at Look at this scripture. Uh, The wise and the foolish builder out of Matthew. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And so we see this from, from Jesus as he's saying this. He's wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, where he's just spent the previous you know, two, two or three chapters talking about, hey, here's what it's like to live in godliness. Here's what it's like to, to be a person of integrity, to be a person of character, one that's, that's honorable to God. And he says, if you follow these things, that's going to be like building your house on the rock. And if you choose to say, yeah, those are nice, but I don't really need to do those, then it's like building your house on sand. And then when those troubling times come, when those difficulties come, your house is going to be torn down. It's not going to be able to stand. And so as we think about this, and he addresses this, um, if you read through the chapter, but what happens when we fail at this? What happens when we break trust? Because we're all imperfect. We will all and have all broken trust with people at one point or another. And I can think of, you know, an example for, from my life of where I told Gabby, hey, I'm going to be home, my wife Gabby, hey, I'm going to be home at, at 5 o'clock. And then, you know, the day goes and there's a meeting that runs a little bit long. I end up home at 5.20. Well, I can think... It's not a big deal. You know, you should be flexible. You should, you should understand things happen. But the fact of it is, it's not, 
It's not, the onus isn't on her to be able to trust me. The onus is on me to make sure that what I say is truthful to her, that it actually happens. And so whether it's, it's 20 minutes or an hour, um, if I would have communicated, hey, I'm going to be a little bit late, that would have been a completely different story. But because I didn't, that was an example of breaking that trust. And so then it goes into how do you build that trust up with the people who you've bro- broken trust with? And so... I would say, and he says this at the end of the book, he says, as we're thinking about leadership, we're thinking about our business, we're thinking about the teams that we lead, think about first at home with with your family, if you're married, with your spouse, with your kids, where have you broken trust and how can you work to rebuild that trust and then carry it over into your work, carry it over into the teams that you're leading. And so here's, here's some discussion starters that we have for today. Who has been a leader in your life that has put others above him or herself? Why did it make that person a great leader? Talk about a time when your team's trust of you was eroded. How did that impact you? How did it impact the team or, or your family? How did you recover from that? And then three, with the law of addition and the law of solid ground, which do you need to improve in the most? And then how can you improve in that area? Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll we'll jump into our groups. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we get to gather together. Help us to practice these principles, not just because they're good principles, but because you have outlined these things in Scripture. You've shown us examples of how we should serve others, of how we need to to build our house and our life on solid ground. And in in those areas where we've messed up, because we all have, help us to rectify those, to look to you for guidance and to repair those relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.